0: If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Issues that dominate America. This is State of the Nation on
1: today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, well, welcome to State of the Nation. It's wonderful to have you on this Tuesday afternoon. I hope you're doing well. I'm Steve Hook, broadcasting live From the Central Jersey Shore, and there's Brian hesher McLean. He, of course, is doing his thing from Central Texas. And, of course, you can always uh, find us on TNTradio.live and all the platforms and whatnot. Watch us as well as listen us. Why not? Hey, by the way, before we say hello to Hesh, I just want to remind you that last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced it's going down February twentieth and the twenty first. It might only go down one of those days. We'll have to wait and see. But it's happening at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have to uh, will have permission to appeal, or whether he will be immediately extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting uh, live from the event and covering the entire two days if need be. And then TNT will be broadcasting from various locations. Uh, throughout london uh, as we help light the fuse for freedom on today's news talk tnt all right Uh, well good luck to julian hey hesher what's
2: happening brother hey steve great to be with you here for another state of the nation looking forward to it we got a great show lined up a lot of uh, regulars and some new guests coming to the program so i'm really excited to be here today steve yeah it
1: is it's it's a big show it's a big big show and by the way we just want to uh, start off with, uh, coming up in the second hour, we've got a little special something, something, the passing of Toby Keith. Uh, now Hesh, I know you're not a big country guy. Um, hash is more of a hard rocker. I'm more of a, 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 blues guy and rock and roll old school rock and roll guy. But Toby Keith was an absolute American, uh, iconic, uh, country music star. And he was all American. Uh, he's red, white, and blue as you could get. Uh, what 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 were some of his songs? Uh, so Red Solo Cup and Beer for My Horses, and I Love This Bar. Uh, but he did a lot of patriotic tunes as well. So we're going to do a little tribute to Toby Keith in our second hour. So I just wanted to give it give that a uh, little promo. Well, Hesh, I don't know if you saw, but you probably did. The DC rule, uh, the DC Court of Appeals has decided. Has handed down their ruling that Trump is not immune from prosecution. This, of course, you'll recall last week, um Judge Chutkin uh indefinitely put on hold the Jack Smith case concerning January 6th, because frankly, she wanted to make sure this kind of wended its way through the court system before she tried to bring it up. Uh, and that's what's going on now. The DC Court of Appeals says, no, you're not necessary. This isn't a get out of jail free card necessarily. <laughs> Uh, Now, Trump has got up to 90 days to appeal this. So the question is, is are we ever going to see this on a docket before the Supreme Court gets it? And then even if the Supreme Court gets it, how long is it going to take? The U.S. uh, Court of Appeals, D.C., considered Trump's claim of presidential immunity from prosecution for his actions in office, including his alleged role in overturning the 2020 election loss ultimately saying it was unpersuaded by his argument and ruled a case against him can proceed. We have balanced former president Trump's asserted interest in executive immunity against the vital public interest that favor allowing the prosecution to proceed. The court wrote in its ruling this morning, we conclude that the interest in the criminal accountability held by both the public and the executive branch outweighs the potential risk of chilling Presidential action and permitting vexatious litigation. Vexatious litigation is just a very fancy lawyerly way of saying pain in the ass lawsuits. Uh, They're vexing, and they certainly are. Stephen Chung, Trump campaign spokesman, told Fox News the case will have far reaching consequences for both Trump and all future presidents, and it will. Uh, If immunity is not granted to this is Chung. If immunity is not granted to a president, every future president who leaves office will immediately be indicted by the opposing party. Without complete immunity, a president of the United States would not be able to properly function. The Trump campaign uh, spokesman added, deranged Jack Smith. You know, Trump probably said, every time you say Jack Smith, say deranged first. So deranged Jack Smith's prosecution of President Trump for his presidential official acts is unconstitutional, unconstitutional, unconstitutional. Under the doctrine of presidential immunity and the separation of powers, prosecuting a president for official acts violates the Constitution and threatens the bedrock of our republic. President Trump respectfully disagrees with the D.C. Circuit's decision and will appeal appeal it in order to safeguard the
2: presidency and the Constitution. So what do you know about that, Hash? What do you think? Uh, Well, it sounds like the kind of thing that a crumbling Roman-esque banana republic would love to have passed through. I mean, how awesome would that be for the power politics realm as we descend further into a non-American technocratic globalist future where they can just ring up any president they want? So this would effectively, if, if this isn't adjudicated properly and the appeal doesn't go through, Steve, it sounds to me... Like this sets up a system in perpetuity where any populist that somehow makes it into the White House, if such a thing actually does happen ever again, um, will be subject to this sort of lawfare. You know, so uh, it's very disconcerting to to see power politics descend to to this level. But what do we expect from a D.C. court? I mean, this is exactly what we expected.
1: I was about to say it's a D.C. court. So, you know, you could have just said Trump uh, wore white after Labor Day and that would have been enough to convict a man. So that's just D.C., but we'll see. And of course, as I mentioned, 90 days to appeal, that's a full three months. The Supreme Court's got a pretty full docket as it is. Yeah. Uh, So we'll see how it plays out. But it's uh, very interesting. So that's the latest on that. By the way, Judge Chutkin, uh, she hasn't commented yet, but I suspect that she won't make any moves uh, to speed this thing along until the appeals process goes through. And again, that's going to take over three months. So it may be... uh, Too late, uh, too little, too late for the uh, Biden campaign and the DNC, but we'll see. Hey, at TNT, we never, ever go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time as we broadcast live 24-7, 365, online, globally. No matter what, no matter where, we've got you covered on today's News Talk TNT. Be a part of the
0: conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Okay, well, the media and the Democrats have all been in meltdown mode since last week's call by Judge Chutkin to indefinitely postpone the Jack Smith J-6 case. As we mentioned today, the D.C. Court Court of Appeals handed down its own ruling, Uh, But will that make a big difference going forward? Well, I don't know. Team Trump has a full 90 days to appeal this ruling, and that would move it to SCOTUS three months at the absolute earliest. However, this Thursday, uh, SCOTUS is also taking up the Colorado case. This is the one in which the unelected justices in the Colorado Supreme Court decided that Trump is going to be removed from the ballot. Oral arguments for that case come on Thursday, and then the case will be ha- have to be sorted out. That'll probably take at least a month or several weeks at least. SCOTUS has a very full docket, as I mentioned, and Democrats in the Biden campaign have been relying very heavily on lawfare to take Trump out of the race. Time, however, is becoming the issue. Meanwhile, Biden is in complete collapse, free fall in the polls. And his latest gap in Vegas on Sunday has many insiders worried that without the court stopping the uh, Trump train, God knows Biden can't do it. And on Sunday in Las Vegas, he told the crowd, it was a fundraiser, that he had sat down with uh, French President Francois Mitterrand, where Mitterrand pressed him on, uh, Biden said America's back, and Mitterrand apparently turned to him and said, uh, but for how long? Oh, and they all had a good laugh until somebody pointed out that Francois Mitterrand died in 1996, and he's been dead for the (laughs) better part of 30 years. So, kind of a screw up. Let's (laughs) let's. (laughs) I know you can't contain your laughter, but it is. I can't. It's kind of just. It's just so par for the course for this guy, and uh, this is the kind of stuff we we were talking off air. You remember the time he asked the uh, the uh, paraplegic to stand up and uh, be recognized, and then said, "Oh, God, love you, man." Uh, and then a few months ago, he said uh, he was talking to somebody. He said, oh, I was talking to so-and-so, and she had died in a car accident like four days before. I forget the name of that representative. But at any rate, let's bring in our guest to discuss this. He, You know him. You love him. Director of the Center for Regulatory Freedom at CPAC Foundation. He's also the host of lunch of the Lunch Hour podcast and co-host of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. It's
3: Andrew Langer. Hello Andrew. How are you brother? It's great to see you I'm, happy Tuesday. I'm, I'm I'm good gents. Yeah, you know the uh it's a Tuesday in February and the republic rolls on, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah. But for how long? Yes. But for so, how long? Yeah. So uh, Andrew, what do you think about this uh, <laughs> well I I won't comment on the meterant. We'll talk about that in a minute, but yeah. The court case, uh, as Hesh and I mentioned, I mean, it's D.C. Court of Appeals. You knew it was going to happen. But well, where do we go from here?
3: Listen, I take a, a kind of a, a dissenting view on all this because, you know, I go back to the myriad things that Barack Obama did while he was in office. Uh, and I would love to have seen him prosecuted for those things. And I think that there was merit. I mean, here's the, the what I always come back to. Uh, is that there's a a procedure that's supposed to happen? A president is supposed to be impeached and removed from office, and then that president can be prosecuted for criminal acts. But once you sort of lead up to that point, uh, then uh, then you know then no, you, you, the president can't be distracted by these lawsuits. The other thing that I that I come back to also is these arguments. I don't know about the president being distracted by vexatious litigation. The only reason why I'm not entirely moved by them is because we went through four years where we were well short of vexatious litigation, but the system was doing whatever they could to frustrate the efforts of Donald Trump, whether it was the politicization of the Justice Department or meritless hearings that were happening in Congress and people being called up, or traitors within the White House sort of double dealing against this president. So, I mean, the reality is there are many, many things that can distract an administration. Right, we go back to, and I always come back to the but for, what, what could Donald Trump have done as president were it not for the fact that there were, that the power structure was doing whatever it could to frustrate the efforts of the Trump administration? Um, so it's just, it's one of these things where the reality to me is, the Democrats and the progressives want there to be constant litigation against Donald Trump throughout this election. They want to delay it. They don't want a verdict against, I mean, listen, if they got a verdict by Jack Smith or any of them, um, then that would be gravy in certain ways because then they could talk about it, him being convicted. But what they want is they want to raise the specter of whether or not Donald Trump is eligible to be on this ballot in, in enough minds so that in a handful of, of, of swing states, battleground states, enough voters are turned off. Listen, what they're really scared about, let's be really clear here, what the Democrats are really scared about are the third, fourth, and fifth party runs and what that could do to the risk calculus here. Because they, those, those, those candidates pull a lot more from Joe Biden than they do from Donald Trump.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know this this whole thing i mean all we got to do like you're pointing out here is just look in the rear view mirror here and right. we see selective application of uh legislation weaponization of just about every pathway possible into you know like you're saying here this this idea of distracting the campaign process frustrating the process i mean this is nothing new, right? I mean, look at the links they went with with Christopher Steele and Russia Gate and the money that went into that and the intelligence uh, apparatchiks that went into that.
3: Let me let me come back to a story that that we all seem to have forgotten: the president's son thumbed his nose at a lawfully issued congressional subpoena to testify on corruption of his father's office when his father was vice president of the United States and right after he thumbed his nose at this uh, at this hearing and uh, illegally defied this subpoena he was on the the presidential helicopter coming out from Delaware and the white house tried to hide that and and the important question is to the president of the United States Did you encourage your son to violate the subpoena? What kind of conversations did you have uh, to get your son to violate the law uh, to protect you? And the more we're here talking about, and I'm not blaming you guys, right, but the more that the major media is focused on the Jack Smith prosecution being ceased or E. Jean Carroll's defamation lawsuit or any one of a host of other things, the more it gives the Biden administration, specifically Joe Biden cover and all this, oh, and let me add all of the chicanery and the naked power grabs that this administration is getting in through the administrative process. But but that's that's the thing is they want, they want to focus this election on Trump and Trump's eligibility and whether or not Trump committed illegal acts while he was in office or before he was in office, anything to not ask about Joe Biden and Joe Biden's record as president and Joe Biden's record as vice president.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I, the thing that I I find, so just, I get the whole vexatious litigation. I mean, you know, I can see why Trump's side would be miffed about this because it's one thing after another. And while I agree with you, Andrew, that they really just want to drag this out to bloody him up as much as possible. Um, God, they would love a prosecution, though, wouldn't they? They would love a conviction, a conviction. And I'll tell you who else would love a conviction, Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley would love a conviction, if we're honest. Uh, But you did bring up a great point, and that is these other outside potential third-party candidates. Of course, RFK Jr. immediately jumps to mind. I don't know that Marianne Williamson is going to be any threat, but RFK Jr.,
3: how is that looking? How is that? I mean, but see, I, here's, I the, here's the thing to keep in mind, Steve, is that it's not about right now. listen, there was a piece in the hill that suggested that RFK could win the election and RFK Jr. could win the election. That's not gonna happen. But the one the one thing we do now, we know that that elections have changed, the makeup of elections, presidential elections have changed drastically in the last 16 years. That's a truism. But what we do know for a certainty is that elections are now decided by small groups of people in key areas of key battleground states, either showing up to vote for the other guy in the polls or showing up or, or not showing up at all because they, they don't like the guy and or, or I, any of the candidates. And so it's not that RFK is going to win. But it's how many votes from joe biden can rfk pull how many votes from joe biden can Marianne williamson pull or cornell west or or whomever joe manchin uh whoever is 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 running um and that's the thing right you know it's to me it would be very strange um but not surprising if rfk jr got the libertarian party nomination he's not a libertarian (laughs) the the folks at reason will tell you that but we all know now that the that the Libertarian Party presidential contest has been about someone who is no longer a, um, uh, who's a refugee from one of the other major parties who can show up and get the Libertarian Party nomination. The point is, what that does is it gets him on the ballot, maybe not in all 50 states, but let's say that he gets on the ballot in 35 or 40 of 50 states and he has enough of an impact to sway the election by a couple of different percentage points either way, taking votes away from Joe Biden and giving the election to Donald Trump. The Democrats are definitely afraid of that.
1: Yeah, makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I get it. I mean, I I also think that um, that, that when, when Bush comes to shove, this thing, I mean, as I mentioned, this this gaffe in Vegas, right. saying that I, I mean, I, I'll read you this quote, because even the quote, when you know he screwed up, the quote still doesn't make sense. Even if Francois Mitterrand were alive, this quote doesn't make sense. He says, I was in the South of England and I sat down and I said, America is back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, France, looked at me and said, well, you know, you know what? Why? How long are you back for? Biden said, referring to the conversation, this took place at the G7 summit. Of course, he was really speaking about uh, Macron and not Mitterrand. He goes, and I looked him, and I looked at him, and I said, "Well." And the Chancellor of Germany piped in, and he said, "What would you say, Mister President, if you picked up the paper tomorrow in in the London Times, and the London Times said a thousand people break into the House of Commons, breaking down the doors, two bobbies are killed in order to stop the election of a prime minister? What would you say then?" That's Biden saying. That's what the the, the German Chancellor said to him at G seven. I'm going to go ahead and wager $5,000 on something that never happened. I don't think that comment ever came from the German chancellery uh, or the German chancellor. And I think that's just Biden blowing smoke and talking about a dead man that he was having lunch with.
3: I'm sorry, but doesn't it have all of the veracity of a a letter to the penthouse forum? I mean, it really (laughs) sounds like political porn, right? Oh, yes. I never thought it could happen to me, but there I was with Francois Mitterrand and Angela Merkel and Boris Johnson, and they were all just saying, oh my God, you're so much better than the other guy. How, you know, I mean, that is just... It's just, it strains credulity in that in that same kind of way. Bob Guccione could not have written a better letter than than next All
2: right, Andrew. No kidding. All right, Andrew, we're out of time. We got to let you go. Uh, of course, check out Andrew and Jerry Save the World and the Lunch Hour podcast. Andrew, we'll look forward to having you back on very soon. Thanks for everything Thanks, you do here at State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT. TNT's Bruce de Torres. The Who's proposed treaty will increase
0: man-made pandemic Pandemics by Merrill Nass, just a minute about this. This report is designed to help readers think about some big topics, how to really prevent pandemics and biological warfare, how to assess proposals by the WHO and its members for responding to pandemics, and whether we can rely on our health officials to navigate these areas in ways that make sense and will help the population populations we start with a history of biological arms control and rapidly move to the covid pandemic eventually arriving at plans to protect the future she didn't put protect in quotes but i just did verbally world stage and bruce de torres on today's news talk tnt
4: affordable housing we can build that sustainable housing we can build that At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the US on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular, we can build that.
0: Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do
5: a lot of free streaming.
0: TNT Radio.live.
2: So founded in 2008, the Military Missions in Action, MMIA, is dedicated to assisting veterans with disabilities, homeless veterans, and members of the armed forces, and their families with three main programs. Operation Building Hope, Homes for Healing, and Fill the Foot Locker. We're gonna learn more about those as our guest joins us. So MMIA is a registered 501C3 and a Gold Guide Star nonprofit headquartered in North Carolina, which provides service services for all 100 counties in the state. Army Lieutenant Colonel, retired Greg Gebhardt currently serves as the Executive Director of Military Missions in Action and we're pleased to have him join us now. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Gebhardt, thank you for joining us. It's great to meet you. Um, first, tell us a little bit about MMIA in North Carolina and what you folks do.
6: Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to, uh, to join you all today. So we've been around for uh, over 15 years now, and uh, this organization was the brainchild of Mike Dorman. Uh, Mike was a former Coast Guardsman who just, um, retired after 20 plus years of service. And he saw a need as the the surge was ending in Iraq and then soldiers were coming home. Uh, He saw the need um, to provide assistance for uh, disabled veterans. You know, uh, The VA system had become overwhelmed at that time. There were a lot of issues. And so Mike just wanted to step up and help. And so he created this nonprofit. And in the last 15 years, we've helped over 130,000 North Carolinians and their families uh, through those three programs that you just mentioned, Brian.
1: Wow. 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 130,000. And that's just North Carolina alone. That's a uh, well done Colonel. Um, and welcome to the show. Um, this is just, is this just, uh, for the, the, the state of North Carolina or are you going to, could this be launched as a nationwide effort? It's just such a great cause.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Stephen. thank you for that. And, you know, I will point out, uh, you know, that 130,000, uh, plus, does represent, we send care packages overseas. So part of our Fill the Foot Locker program is uh, sundry items and food uh, going overseas to deployed service members. Um, as a matter of fact, we've got a shipment ready to go out to Poland right now. Uh, we had a shipment go out, uh, ended up on the USS Mason, which is very much uh, on the front lines of that battle against the um, the iranian back Houthis uh, in the Red Sea right now. Uh, and so, no, Stephen, it doesn't, inc- it's not just, that 130 is not just North Carolinians because of the care packages, but, um, right now, the Board of Directors really doesn't have an intent to franchise and, and go outside of the borders of North Carolina just because the need is so great here within our state. And, um, you know, we serviced, um, gosh, over just over 4,600 veterans and their families last year. Um, about 2,500 of those were care packages. So around 15, uh, I guess 2,000 uh, North Carolinian uh, veterans and, and active duty service members and just you know, I can tell you, Stephen, um, requests for our services were up over 55% last year, and we weren't even able to meet the demand. So long winded way of saying I don't think we're going to franchise outside the state borders anytime soon.
2: Yeah, well, it sounds like, you know, you've you've got a great paradigm here and a great 501c3, you know, we really need this. I've got a, a, a VA nearby me uh, where I am here in Central Texas, and I drive by it often. And it can be Kind of sad, you know, when you see um, so many wounded veterans, you know, moving up and down the the city on their, you know, their their wheelchairs and their carts and and whatnot, the rascals, whatever sure. they got. Um, and I've I've got friends that are veterans around here too, so I've heard stories from inside the VA, and it's it's strange. I mean, um, maybe you can comment on this, but it seems like it's kind of hit or miss. Like some people seem to go and get pretty decent service, and then you. It's like every time I hear that, I hear it balanced out with someone that's not receiving good service or someone who's, you know, quite frankly, being treated terribly, especially during 2020 and 2021. That was some of the saddest stories that I heard from my local veteran friends. I mean, um, talk to us a little bit about the state of the VA and why this is so important.
6: Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Uh, and, and it's interesting you said it's either hit or miss. I'll just, you know, for example, I use the VA for some of my healthcare and I can tell you um, I've had a pretty good experience with the VA now, that being said, I'm a relatively younger veteran, right? Um, I don't have a lot of health issues right now. So uh, my experience, Brian has been pretty good, um, but I only go for an annual checkup once a year. I'm, I'm kind of in and out, you know, uh, but our director of operations, uh, Zach, um, He's a little bit older than me. Uh, he sees the VA for a lot of uh, a lot of a lot more medical care than I do. And I can tell you, uh, <laughs> um, well, I may be the hit. He's the miss. Uh, he just comes back with some stories of, you know, having to wait for hours on end just to get a refill or a prescription. And so, um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Brian. It can be hit or miss. And, you know, I'll speak to specifically uh, one of you mentioned Operation Building Hope largely what we do through that program, Brian, is provide ramps for disabled veterans to remain independent, right? Because we want to keep them in their homes, um, with their families, around their friends, in their neighborhoods. And so with that ramp program, Brian, we can have a ramp constructed for usually less than $1,500 and in 48 hours, whereas the VA also has um, a home modification program. But if you use the VA, I've heard that, you know, and this is anecdotally right so uh, full disclosure it's not me personally but i've heard anecdotally if you get a ramp within six months you're doing really well and and we can turn that around in 48 hours so yeah that's we're really proud of that
1: yeah and i'd wager that the va installed ramp is going to cost a whole hell of a lot more probably a lot of (laughs) regulatory loopholes they have to jump through we know the way that works well listen up uh colonel gaphart we got to take a real quick break for a headline But when we get back, let's kind of drill down on the uh, VA a little bit because this seems and it seems like every four years people are talking about the VA. It's as if nobody really thinks about it until, whoops, election time, better start thinking about, you know, plugging up the holes in the VA. So we'll talk about that on the other side. We take a quick break and we'll be back uh, with uh, State of the Nation right after this on today's News Talk. (laughs) Here's what's making news. TNT Radio
4: News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is reportedly considering the dismissal of both Valery Zeluzhny, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, and Sergei Sheptala, the chief of the general staff. This news follows Zelensky's recent announcement of a significant restructuring of Ukraine's leadership. A recent poll conducted by Servation and reported by ITV reveals a significant decline in support for the Labour Party among British Muslims since the last general election.
0: Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover
1: the biggest topics of our time, right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation on t- uh, on TNT. We're speaking to Lieutenant Colonel Greg Gephardt about his program, Military Missions in Action. Uh, great organization that helps out a lot of vets in the Tar Heel state, and for that matter, uh, from all other states, sending uh, care packages uh, across the uh, well across the globe to help out our vets uh, in in that are actually being deployed. Anyway, uh, Colonel Gephardt, thanks again for uh, pausing through the break. There, I just want to say, you know, McDonald's is number one for a reason because every McDonald's you go into is consistent. A quarter pounder with cheese in Memphis, Tennessee is going to taste the same as a quarter pounder with cheese in London, England. There's consistency there. But as as you and Hash were mentioning, it's it's hit or miss with the VA. It seems like You need some business people that can come into the Veterans Administration and say, look, these are the standards that we're going to uh, strive for. And these are the only standards we're going to accept. And that's across the board, whether you're in Tupelo or St. Louis or wherever. And that's just not the way it works, because I've spoken to plenty of vets, too, who've gotten some arthroscopic work done that was done brilliantly. They, they, They were very, very happy with it. And then, of course, then, then you talk to somebody else. They're like, oh, yeah, well, I've been waiting on a prescription for months. How can, we, how can we get the VA to do the job consistently so groups like yours, and I know you'd still be in it, but groups like yours aren't so necessary? I mean, it's a wonderful thing you're doing, but it's sad that it has to be necessary, isn't it? Yeah,
6: no, it absolutely is, sir. You're you're 100 percent right. And, you know, that's one of the reasons uh, one of the things I talk about when I go speak to groups about our nonprofit, they say, well, you know, why do you all exist? And it's it's for that reason, largely for that reason. Right. When veterans and their families reach out to the government for assistance, uh, largely through the VA, it gets tied. As you mentioned before the break, sir, it gets tied up in red tape and, you know, the bureaucratic process. And, you know, by the time the veteran actually gets the help they need, they're beyond frustrated um lord heaven forbid it's a you know if it's a mental health crisis or they're dealing with um some some mental health issues um so you know you know three four years ago i think we made some major strides with the accountability uh people be people's feet being held to the fire we had uh executives replaced uh sadly um it it was at you know after lives were lost i believe there was a va in arizona where a veteran or two uh, had passed away in the waiting room perhaps and so uh I guess, I, I don't know, if there's, there's no silver bullet to this, but to your point, sir, the, uh, you know, if we were to do it, operate it like, uh, you know, McDonald's or you, people often refer to Chick-fil-A here in the South, right? I mean, you can show up at a Chick-fil-A drive-through at noon, it's a hundred cars deep and you're out of there in less than three minutes, right? I mean, so the private sector's figured it out. It's just, uh, I think we need accountability in government to be able to say, hey, if you're not getting the job done and soldiers are waiting or veterans and their families are waiting in excess, you've got to move on to, you know, to a different line of business. And and so, um, but the VA has made major strides in the last couple of years. um, You know, allowing choice, right? Veterans to get care outside of the VA system while the VA covers the tab, because, you know, as as Brian mentioned, in Central Texas, he's near a VA. But one of our programs, we help uh, furnish homes for veterans who are taken off the streets and put into uh, permanent housing. But as housing affordability becomes a, a major issue in the urban areas, these veterans are being pushed further and further out from the urban centers where the VA hospitals are located, at least here in North Carolina, and then they become 40 to 50 miles away from their appointments. Well, sure, there's a local transportation service, but they show up at 8 a.m., drop them off for their 10 o'clock appointment at 9 a.m., and then they don't circle back around in the afternoon till 4 or 5 o'clock. And by that time, the veteran's frustrated. They just want to get home. And, you know, I ask folks, how many times do you think a veteran's going to do that? Maybe once, right? Yeah. So...
2: Well, I mean, I think we we all know elderly people in our lives and in our friends' circles, our family circles, and we know how frustrating it can be if you're in chronic pain or if you're having, you know, mental health issues or something like that. It becomes prohibitive to not have a ramp for six months. I mean, six months of not having a ramp is the kind of thing that could send someone to assisted living before they need to go to assisted living. So um, we've only got about a, a minute and a half left here, but. Um, expand a little bit on the other two programs. You just mentioned one of them. You got Operation Building Hope and Homes for Healing. These are your other two primary initiatives um, aside from Fill the Locker, which uh, you do the care packages with. So um, take us out with that. And let me remind you that the website is militarymissionsinaction.org. That's where you go to find out more, to get involved. You can contribute to this um, nationwide, and we recommend that you do so.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned our three programs. We provide home furnishings for vets and families in need, active duty as well, if they need our assistance. We do ramps and home modifications. We do care packages, Christmas presents at Christmas time. And then we do unhoused veteran stand down kits. That's where we provide toiletry and sundry items, unfortunately, for veterans who are living on the streets. And yeah, as you said, Brian, people can find us at military missions with an S, military missions in action dot org. And uh, there's three ways that you can help us. Like us and follow us on our social media channels, sign up for our newsletter on the website. And then third, and and most importantly, send a veteran our way because as an Iraq war veteran myself, I tell folks, if you wait for a veteran to knock on your door and ask for assistance, you're going to wait a long time because they're just not going to do it.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah, thank you so much for that. And thanks for everything you do. And if you're thinking about donating, I want to let you know that 91 cents of every dollar goes to programs and services. You're not going to find that at your typical NGO or 501c3. Um, it's the, that percentage is, uh, way, way off on so many organizations out there that achieve 501 C three. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything you do for our veterans. Thank you for your service. And we'll look forward to speaking with you again. Uh, it's been a pleasure Lieutenant Colonel retired Greg Gebhardt right here on state of the nation.
0: Give me a minute with TNT Radio's
4: Steve Malsberg. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the week. So how about a little dose of Joe Biden at his best to get you through the weekend?
5: Folks, um, uh, I, uh, if I were smart, I'd say thank you and leave. There's asylum, asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspe- inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of so us. Our southwest border, greedflation, shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bar? Well, it's going to stop. America, we're tired of being played for suckers. We get thousands. Look, we, we, you know, we now have. We before the recession, before the the pandemic, the beer brewed here. It is used to make the brew beer. in this, the final. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why. <laughs> cost 10 bucks to make it, 10 bucks to make it. We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with him in
4: America.
3: Now, normally this would be humorous, funny, you know, but this is a man who's president of the United States and looking for four more years
4: on the job. It's frightening. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Right. I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears. Eyes, would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Look who's finally woken
3: up.
0: Conversations about what matters the most. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation, and we are very happy to welcome our next guest. You know, we're ramping up, man. Election season is really, I mean... It seems like two years before election, we're saying it'll be here before you know it, but it really does start to get faster. It almost sounds like a snowball going down the hill effect, and that's why we're bringing on a whole bunch of candidates that we hope you uh, to give you give you a chance to listen to, maybe consider pulling the lever for one of those candidates is Matt shoemaker uh we're kind of N- North Carolina focused today Matt uh Matt is a candidate for U.S Congress for uh NC 13. he's a former Intel office you just received uh General Mike Flynn's endorsement yesterday congratulations on that Matt so that tells me exactly where you're at you're all about uh make America first again it sounds like uh welcome Absolutely. to the program. Welcome to the program. Introduce yourself and uh, give us your platform.
7: Absolutely. Well, thank you both for for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. You know, my name is Matt Shoemaker. I'm running for Congress in North Carolina's 13th district, which is the Raleigh area of North Carolina. And as you mentioned, I'm a former intelligence officer with the Navy. I actually got off active duty orders with the Navy uh, about six months ago or so. Before that, I was running intelligence operations as part of Central Command um, against the Russians and the Chinese in the sandbox. So I was working with, with special forces to give them the intel that they needed to get their job done. So they kept me busy for sure. But in terms of what I'm running for, more than anything, I'm running to defund stupidity and to send intelligence to DC. And as a former intelligence officer, God knows you know people up in, in DC certainly need it. Uh, and thankfully, as you mentioned, you know General Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor, under President Trump has shown uh, an extraordinary amount of faith in me, which is very humbling, to say the least, to have the National Security Advisors endorsement that I and my voice in Congress are needed. That is where I'm coming from. And what I want to accomplish more than anything, the first thing we're going to have to tackle, of course, is going to be border security. That is the absolute number one national security issue of the day right now. But it's more than that. And it's not just a talking point that border security is national security. For me, border security is family security. I've got a brother of mine who's actually a cop and he has to deal with the rise in crime. He has to deal with the rise in drugs and the resources that we're moving from our own kids in schools to, to house and to teach illegal immigrants, for example, is pulling uh, resources and funds away from people that we need to take care of and are given to people who shouldn't even be here. So that is the number one issue that I want uh, that I wanna tackle Of course, the other issues are going to be the economy and inflation, and it's going to be an election integrity. We have to know and we have to have faith that the people that we're electing are actually the people's choice.
2: Uh, Yeah, representation. The question of representation has really started to gnaw at America, I think, at this point, you know, and we can set aside like election integrity just for a second, which I don't like to even say because that's kind of the long pole in the tent here. But at this point, it seems like Americans, you know, even center right, center left, libertarian, what I call the DGAF uh, persuasion they're all at a point now where it's like wait a minute am i in the bucket of deplorables the basket of deplorables because i'm not an extreme you know left wing progressive who wants more government who wants more nanny state who wants gun control who wants you know legalization of mutil- mutilation of children and an open border you know which you know brings me to your main point here this open border is is the talking point right now. It has, I think, uh, you know, (laughs) to the chagrin of many has become sort of the key issue in this election. I mean, do you agree? It feels like our, our national security is in great jeopardy. We have a government that has tried to turn us all against each other and then weaponized itself against those that complain or have wrong think. And, um, the election integrity is, uh, Beyond questionable right now, to the point where many um, conservatives, I think, feel like the process is broken and they're dejected. I mean, how do how do we fix this? Sure. Uh, Unfortunately, there's no silver bullet to this. I think that's the thing that we all
7: need to be aware of. But but let's let's take your your comments about border security. Um, first, because there's a, there's a few things to unpack in there. The thing that I am actually frustrated with, especially with regards to the Republican party is that they are sticking to number one, just a simple, very basic talking point of border security is national security. That's great. And it's not exactly wrong, but we don't make it personal. We don't make it real for what that actually means. If we have, you know, we use the talking point as well. Every state is now a border state. But that, once again, it doesn't tell people what does that actually mean. How am I, you know, impacted by that when I go and buy groceries, for example? Well, you know, I was just speaking yesterday to a to a local teacher in Wake County in the Raleigh area, who she has been moved uh, from teaching American citizens to teaching children, and she has now been put into an English as a second language class to teach illegal immigrant children who shouldn't even be here. So it's taking resources away from our kids. And it's giving it to people who shouldn't even be here. That's where this is becoming real. Now, the other thing on top of it that, that frustrates me more than anything is, you know, when it came to President Trump and the way that the Democrats treated him, they impeached him in a day. The second, you know, for, for the January sixth stuff, in the in one day they launched an investigation and they voted on it in the House in the same day. And the Republicans have been working for over a year just to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, and and they're still unable to do it. So that's my frustration with the Republican Party. It's my frustration with the system. And that's what I'm here to deliver. I'm not here just to make nice with people. I'm here to deliver results and to be a disruptor
1: and get the job done. Wow. Well, that sounds good. Uh, D.C. could use a lot more disruptors uh, and a lot less swamp creatures. And that's what's going on here. Now, speaking of the border, uh, Matt, um, you know, we saw I don't know if you watched uh biden's speech about i don't know about 45 minutes an hour ago or so uh joe biden basically is 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 pimping for this the senate bill which at this rate it may not even make it to a full uh vote in the senate because mitch mcconnell is backing off even though he helped write the damn thing Mm -hmm. um you know and all these rhinos are in there and uh, and that's just it. The The, the rhinos are being uh, are are outnumbering the good conservative America first agenda type candidates like yourself. I think uh, uh, that 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 Biden's, <laughs> Biden's speech was pretty uh, amusing and very telling, too, because it tells you where their fear is. He said all Americans should I'm paraphrasing, but this is damn near a perfect quote. All Americans will know going forward that if this bill does not get out of the Senate and pass through the House so I can sign it into law, that the broken border will be President Trump's fault, former President Trump's fault. It's it's so uh, – uh, it, it is cognitive dissonance on steroids. Everybody knows who broke this border. Hell, I could find a video where where Biden was speaking back in like – It was like a decade ago where he says, we want an unrelenting wave of nonstop immigrants. He said in 2017, so this quote came before 2017, he goes, white European stock will be an absolute minority. And that's a good thing. We want to keep it coming nonstop. And the media ignores that. In fact, if you were to go to Google right now and Google, Biden says he wants an unrelenting wave of immigrants. You know how many uh, things come up? One. And it's just some guy's podcast. And you've got to watch it for 50 minutes before you get to that quote. They are burying this stuff. The media and big tech are colluding, to use a word, to cover up the failures of this administration. And now he's trying to pass the buck on to Trump. And something tells me, Matt, Uh, that the media is going to say, you know what? Trump's right. I mean, Biden's right. It's Trump's fault. Um, How are you going to go into D.C. and knock heads on this? Because this is the kind of stuff that are just infuriating people.
7: Well, the first thing that I would do is I'm not going to pass any continuing resolutions to keep funding this, hear, hear. These, these Democratic bills if our border remains open. that That is completely nonsensical. It's the most asinine thing I've ever heard that we're going to be continuing to allow millions of illegals across our border. And yet we are continuing to fund the government to keep that open in order for that to, to happen. You know, I saw what happened in New York City uh, last week where a number of of illegal immigrants attacked to police officers in Times Square. Now, I don't know if you've yeah. been following that story, but the, the, uh, the four Im- illegal immigrants came uh, before a court, they were all charged with assault and then they were released without bail back yeah. into their taxpayer funded uh, living quarters. And now the mayor of New York City wants to uh, do a test program where he gives, uh, I think it was over $53 million worth of credit cards to illegal immigrants staying in New York City. Like, all of this is just absolutely ridiculous, stupid ideas. And, and you know, it comes down to it. I'm not going to be – I'm not going to play nice with them in order to do this. I don't see any – I did not put on the uniform to protect this country to help, you know, millions of illegal aliens come in that we don't know who they are, we don't know what their agenda is, and,
1: and to continue to fund this is just absolutely ridiculous on my watch. Yeah, and by the way, to your point, uh, Matt, I just want to – get this in there because we're talking about how much money we're talking about uh the estimate now since biden took over we have spent estimates of around one trillion dollars on illegal immigration so far not to fix illegal immigration not to stop it but to facilitate it and to help process it uh, and this is that's why his speech was so it just is so tone deaf, but of course it's meant to be because he knows this is a killer for him. Now, speaking of uh, North Carolina, as I said, we were a little bit North Carolina focus here. We the fellow we just had on before you, uh Lieutenant Greg Gephardt, uh, heads up a a a veterans program there in uh, North Carolina. What do the folks in North Carolina want? About five years ago, we were very concerned that North Carolina was starting to trend a little bit more purple. Do you see it starting to go a little bit more red again, or how's that working? Is it as red as your tie is, for example, yet?
7: Uh, Well, so North Carolina is an interesting beast, if you will, especially when it comes to congressional races and to senatorial races. We've tended to, to lean more red recently, which is why, for example, in the state house alone, there is super majorities in both houses of the legislature. Now, when it comes to the governorship, for whatever reason, North Carolina tends to not particularly care for Republicans. It might be the people that they keep uh, putting up uh, on the Republican ticket for governorship. But in the past 100 or so years, only one Republican has ever won the governorship. Um, So for whatever reason, North Carolina is an interesting beast. Absolutely. (laughs)
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, thanks for breaking that down a little bit, because we've wondered about that one before. Now, now, Matt, you know, you have a clearly a background that is rife with military leadership and you understand intelligence, you understand national security quite clearly um, and geopolitics. So, you know, you seem like the right guy for for this position. How would you bring like what does what do you feel in your military experience um, really kind of puts you head and shoulders above other candidates? Sure. So actually, the, the reason when usually when I'm asked why I'm running for Congress, other than
7: my first answer being self-hatred, uh, the reason <laughs> I'm actually running was because of an experience I had in the military. Uh, and it had to do with funding. Interestingly enough, this is what it all comes down to. And it's getting a good return on investment for our tax dollars. And why, by that, I mean, my commanding officer came to me. He wanted to send me TDY somewhere, uh, which is uh, military terms for going on a business trip. I came up with a budget for it, how much it would cost. It was gonna cost $15,000. I went to my CEO who was a great guy and I told him I could get the job done and save him $15,000 by doing everything I needed to do from my desk. He laughed and said, we don't worry about that here. And it irritated me so much because a few days beforehand, one of my sailors came to me and mentioned that he and his family were on food stamps. And I found out that according to the Rand Corporation who had just published a study about a month beforehand, One in four service members are either on food stamps or food insecure. It's absolutely ridiculous. And so from one side, I was being told that my guys couldn't eat. And from the other, I was being told to spend money wildly. And it came down to where is their accountability? Because all I see is institutionalized thinking of this is how it is. This is how it's supposed to be. And we just keep going with it. That's not an answer in my book more than anything. And so it comes down to, these are national security issues. Actually, if you have 25% of your guys who if they get deployed for, for combat and they're worried about whether or not their spouse or kids can, can eat, their head is not in the fight more than anything. So in the, the, that is what it really comes up. That's what I'm going to bring to the table of I have a wonderful I've had a wonderful career. I'm now a, a military and national security commentator for Fox News and Newsmax, and I did my Ph.D. work in nuclear war strategy for King's College in London. Like I I, I certainly come to the table with with experience and I'm not going to be just an observer you know, on day one, I'm going to be able to engage and actually lead on these topics. So that's something that no other candidate in my race has. And nobody else in my race has the, the experience, the passion, and by all means, the energy to go toe to toe with people like AOC. You know, Mm. wouldn't you guys love to see me go toe to toe with her in Congress? It would be absolutely amazing. I will wipe the floor with her.
1: (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, man, uh, you got some bona fides, no doubt about that, and uh, and 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 you just spelled them out there. I love that anecdotal story you told. I would keep that one. Uh, I would keep that one in your hip pocket and pull it out every now and again because that's a great story. We were kind of talking about that before with our former guest. How uh, he said that his organization can build a ramp for a handicapped vet, and he goes, "I can get it done in uh, in short order and do it much cheaper." And it's like true if you go through the government. It's going to be more expensive. Uh, everybody remembers the uh, eight hundred dollar toilet seats and crap back in the eighties and stuff they were talking about. So, anyway, Matt Shoemaker, up. Uh, we want to thank you for being a part of the show. Before you love, we got a couple of minutes here. How is how is the district that you're in? What what what's the breakdown there demographically? Is it going to be a real tough uh, a, t- a tough run for you, or is NC thirteen? How, 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 I mean, we're talking about purple and blue and maybe a little yes. red. How, how is NC-13? So North Carolina-13,
7: actually North Carolina in general, just did redistricting back in late October. So this seat up until then was an R-plus-2 district. It was actually held by a Democrat, interestingly enough. Now it is roughly an R-plus-10 district. So the Democrat actually decided to drop out in this case. So it is an open seat. Our primaries on March the 5th. Whoever essentially wins the primary is going to end up winning the seat more than likely, unless, you know, God forbid something happens. Um, But in that case, I would absolutely love to have your support. Your viewers can reach me. They can go to my website at VoteMJS.com. I'm on Twitter at VoteMJS and uh, Facebook at Matt Shoemaker for Congress. And let's send intelligence to D.C.
1: You got it. Well, listen, I hope next time we talk to you, we're speaking to congressman matt shoemaker from the 13th district of north carolina best of luck to you we hope to have you back on and thanks for joining us today on state of the nation you take care sir and good luck thank you gentlemen thank you for having me okay there he goes that's matt shoemaker well that's one hour of uh, state of the nation in the book stick around because we've got another full hour to go coming up on today's news talk tnt